You're listening to a podcast by BI Norwegian Business School. Welcome to Creativity Matters, podcast on creativity and innovation. From managers to engineers, journalists to chef, everyone is talking about creativity and innovation. But are they really crucial? Can we manage them? This podcast talks about how creativity matters. My name is Federica De Molli. I'm Associate Professor at the Department of Leadership and Organizational Behavior at BI Norwegian Business School. And I have the pleasure to take you to this journey towards the exploration of creativity. Today, I have the pleasure of having with me Mauro Porcini, who is a Senior Vice President and Chief Design Officer at PepsiCo, which is the largest food and beverage company in North America, with brands available in over 200 countries and over 300,000 employees worldwide. At PepsiCo, Mauro is leading a new approach to innovation by design that has an impact on companies' different products and brands. Since he joined PepsiCo in 2012, uh, Mauro has been recognized with more than 1,500 design and innovation awards, and also with many other professional awards, such as Fortune 40 Under 30, 50 Most Influential Designer in USA, Most Creative uh, people in business, and was also listed by GQ as one of the 30 best dressed men in 2015. <laughs> Among all these activities, I don't really know how he can find the time to do also this, but he has also managed to written some books. His first publication is in Italian and uh, has been published in 2021. Uh, the title is uh, L'Etat dell'Eccellenza, which I have here in front of me and was a, a very interesting reading. And soon, in October 2022, he will publish his first book in English uh, titled The Human Side of Innovation. Welcome, Mauro, and thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So I could go on forever reading your works and achievements, honestly, but I would like to ask you to tell uh, uh, your story. Well, I could go on forever <laughs> telling my story, but... The short version is um, I'm a designer, I'm Italian, I come from a family um, uh, that puts the human arts uh, from literature to architecture, art at the center of everything. So that's how I grew up. My father was an architect and an artist, is an architect and an artist. My mom, um, she worked in finance, but she's been writing poems all her life and, and still today every day uh, and so this is the culture i grew up with uh, i bumped into design i studied design in milan in polytechnico i learned english very late in dublin when i was 23 when i was thinking it was too late to learn another language when all my friends already knew english since they were 10 or 9 they studied at school i studied french and, but I decided to get out of my comfort zone, leave everything, go to Dublin, study at the National College of Art and Design, design, 
in a language that I didn't know to learn that language too. And that's why today I'm speaking English to you and I work in a big American corporation because I decided to take the leap of faith and get out of my comfort zone. I started to work in tech in Philips, um, Philips Design in Milan. And then I created my own agency with a famous Italian uh, show business producer and celebrity, Claudio Cecchetto, uh, for three years exploring the... Uh, lands of digital, the beginning of internet. It was the, the end of the 90s and the beginning of 2000, so very early on. And then I joined a big tech company, 3M, uh, the um, company from Minnesota, inventors of Post-it and Scotch, but in reality, they own and develop so many technologies that we interact with every day in so many different fields from aerospace to healthcare to cleaning tools to yeah, architecture and many other fields. And then literally 10 years ago, exactly 10 years ago, I joined PepsiCo to build this new capability as their first chief design officer. So after 10 years at 3M building the capability, the design capability from scratch in the company, moving from Italy to the United States, then I joined PepsiCo to do the same thing in a company that looked really, 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 really different than um, 3M because it's a food and beverage company, but ve with very, very similar challenges to the 3M company, big multinational corporation, American driven, they need to deal with globalization, new technology, the digital technologies, uh, understanding how to become global in this global world where the local uniqueness of the different cultures is more and more relevant than ever. Mm. And uh, um, what is exactly uh, your, um, your work today? I mean, how is your daily um, Tell us one of your, your days. I can imagine there will be, of course, one different from the other, but tell us. You know, it's a question that I receive often and it's so difficult to answer because I don't have a daily routine. I don't have a day that is the same than the other. And, and I got so addicted to this that I don't know how my life would be if I had a daily routine and doing every day the same thing. But essentially, in terms of responsibilities, uh, and activities connected to these responsibilities, uh, my role brings me to, first of all, talk with the top of the company and the different layers of the company to define the strategy of the company from short term to long term and over, you know, all the way to the entire vision of the company and how to leverage design, design thinking, human-centric innovation to prepare the company for the future and, and its application to today, tomorrow, and the real future. So many conversations from CEO down. Then there is, there are the projects associated to all of this. So many, many interactions with my leadership team spread all around the world. We have 15 different locations around the world and really making sure that they are totally empowered because if they were not, I would be just a bottleneck and I would slow down everybody. So they need to be empowered, but making sure that, you know, everything is going in the right direction and, 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 and addressing issues, opportunities when they arise. And so there is a lot of connection, a lot of human connection with my leadership team. And then 
we review projects, we discuss what we're doing, and, and, and they interact, therefore, with the rest of the organization. And then I spend a lot of time outside in the world to get in touch with people out there, with the users of our products, with the partners that we use in our uh, daily projects, but mostly with the people that we don't partner with that could inspire me in some way or the other in uh, anything we do every day, uh, exhibit events, uh, um, conferences, really trying to uh, get inspired as much as possible from the world out there. Because at the end of the day, that's what we do. We design for the world out there. And too many times we get trapped in these ivory towers of these design centers of these corporations. And, and we forget that our job should be to spend a lot of time out there listening, observing, learning, and then back in the company creating. Interesting. And uh, so you say that creativity, for example, um, has to get inspiration from different fields, different sectors, things which are not connected at all with your work, as you mentioned. Um, and then a transferred also to your team members, to, your, to the uh, people that work with you. Uh, but I also understand that uh, um, creativity has to be somehow managed. It's not anarchy. Um, so um, you said, for example, that you uh, try to give, uh, try to lead certain projects and be sure that they meet certain um, conditions. And so what's the um, relationship, according to you, between creativity and uh, rules or creativity and uh, constraints in this case? Uh, constraints are indispensable because if you think about creativity is really that ability to find solutions that eventually are unexpected because they were not created before within specific constraints solutions to specific problems that you have problems that are clear to the world we have you know, very clear problems, problems in our society to solve. And sometimes problems that are totally unexpected and articulated uh, opportunities, therefore, we call them opportunities that people see uh, where nobody else sees anything. And so the uh, creativity needs somehow some form of constraint to be ignited. It needs also some form of framework or field to play. And, and, and a metaphor that I often use is this, uh, you know, to play soccer and be Ronaldo or Maradona or whatever is your hero, depending on you know, when you were born eventually, um, you need a field. You need the lines that define the field. You need the, the goal. You need to, to, to play within the constraints of the pitch. And the same is for us. We need somehow frameworks to leverage the creative energy we have to make sure that it's used in the proper way. If you work, for instance, in corporations, in business in general, this is true for any business, any sites, but especially in the complexity of corporations, if you're just pure creative energy, and if you don't understand the rules of the business, the strategy of the business, how the business is conducted, the business won't be able to leverage you. And there are so many situations where you have these super creative people that go 
inside corporations or they work through their agencies for corporations and they just everything got get lost in translation they don't understand each other and one of the reason is that this pure creative genius have a very hard time to understand the strategy of the business and how to really support that strategy so the real creative is somebody that is able to leverage the pure creativity that at the end of the day is a form of intuition is something that you you know that, that comes directly from your heart from your soul is still part of rationality the, the philosopher uh, spinoza uh, will define the capability that is the intellect or the intuition as nothing else than an ability innate you know that you have inside yourself of reasoning at the super fast in a super fast way it was differentiating reason from intellect intellect meaning intuition and intuition again we think that comes from you know something someplace magic the reality in his words and i totally agree uh, is nothing else that our brain working at the speed of light but still going through the reasoning and in these corporations we need reasoning and we need intuition you need do, you need intuition because that's where you get doing the those leaps that often you don't get to through normal reasoning and and this is what we call genius this is what what we call raw creativity this is where you have an individual that is really like wow how can he has or he, she have these kind of ideas but then if you're not able to reason as well around that intuition or in other words translating it in something that makes sense for others that makes sense for the business strategy that help you storytelling that intuition in a relevant way for the different target audiences you have in front of you the different stakeholders the finance world that needs to invest in you the r&d world that eventually needs to work with you and develop technologies to support that vision uh, the sales organization they need to sell that idea if you're unable to use reasoning and discursive reasoning to storytell and explain what you're doing then you're like a monade <laughs> leibniz in this case you are something you know amazing people are like oh my god this is amazing but what do i do with it <laughs> and then is there is raw energy that dissipates itself and nobody can access it so yes you need processes tools frameworks constraints because they ignite the intuition they contain it they leverage it and make sure that the potential of that intuition goes all the way to the people out there and create value for society else is just something good for you the creative person but nothing that we can leverage mm -hmm. Yeah, very interesting. And uh, I like very much this metaphor of uh, uh, soccer uh, field and soccer play, um, uh, where we have players actually uh, uh, working there, playing together. So the, the team members for you, basically. Um, how do you select your team members? Uh, which features do they have to have? Because uh, we have seen that uh, the, the creative, the genius, It's not always the best option, let's say, if he doesn't uh, understand all this complexity around. So what you, you need? A, you need intuition. Don't take me wrong. Actually, I think it's so important, but it's absolutely not enough. Um, you, you mentioned my books. I wrote 
an, an Italian book and now an English book all around that idea. The idea of what are the traits, the characteristics of these people. I call them the unicorns. Um, initially, because I was talking with my own leadership team, we were looking for these people and, and somebody at a certain point was like, oh my God, they're impossible to find. They're like unicorns. I mean, it's just impossible to find them. And, and then we realized that actually we wanted to find them anyway first. And the what we were looking for is probably impossible to find because it's also an aspiration. The unicorns are these utopic creatures that you want to aspire to in this never-ending journey that is your life made of learning and learning and learning every day. You you wanna you don't you never want to stop learning. You need to see life as a never-ending opportunity to keep growing intellectually, culturally, emotionally, and, and to get there, to become a unicorn. And a unicorn lives in what Plato will call the world of ideas. Is there is an idea and you tend to that idea. But the idea is the full perfection, the perfection that lives in the world of Plato, in God. Just God is the ultimate idea. Uh, the unicorn is something that doesn't really exist, but you want to attend to. What is this unicorn? Well, I, I created this list of characteristics many years ago, 13, 14 years ago, because I realized that I was getting old, you know, I was hiring tons of people at 3M and I was getting all this resume of very talented designers. And then I was interviewing them and some of them were great. Some others were not, but they had everything on paper, you know, that I needed. And then I realized that there were other characteristics that were really important. And then over the years, I started to hire some of them. Some failed, some succeed. And once again, you see that these characteristics, if they were missing, they were a problem. What are they? The list is very long, but for instance, characteristics number zero for me to succeed in my teams is the idea of kindness and trust. So... It, it sounds a bit, you know, very romantic. Wow, you know, kindness is very nice to say in a podcast. But this is really, really characteristic number zero that I gave to HR many years ago at 3M and now in PepsiCo to filter the people we hire. Why? Well, first of all, because I love people that are kind and I can trust. It's just, you know, my parents were like this. I grew up in a kind of environment and today I have the luxury of, you know, surround myself just of this kind of people in my private life <laughs> and also in my team because I'm building my team. So I love that. But forget that part because who cares about what Mauro loves? Kindness is very powerful in any kind of company and organization because a team made of people that are kind to each other, they trust each other, they are together, you know, working, is a team that is by far more efficient and productive. You know that there is nobody there doing something eventually to stab you on your back or to protect themselves from somebody else stabbing them on their back. This means that there is nobody doing redundant activities to be ready if something goes wrong with the other person. Any redundant activity of any individual multiplied for hundreds of thousands of people in a corporation produce a level of uh, unproductivity that is insane and is totally hidden. Nobody sees it. It's also important because we know that sooner or later, each of us, 
each of us, sooner or later, is mathematically certain, will have a very difficult moment, and probably more than one, in their lives in the future. It could be a professional moment, a project that is really not working, or a moment where you are struggling at work, or a personal moment that anyway is going to impact for sure also what you do at work. In those moments, if you have people that are not nice to each other, are not kind to each other in the team, they that's the moment they will try to profit of the situation, to take your place, or anyway, to put you in a situation that is difficult. If instead you have people that are nice, kind, and trustworthy, they will help you. They will take your hand. They will cover for you. They will do everything to help you in all possible ways. Now, if you are a corporation now, if you're a CEO, what do you want? A team that is there to help each other so that the team keeps going, you know, with full efficiency, even when the team members are not there, you know, performing in an ideal way. Or you want a team that is going to be inefficient because they're going to, they're so busy, <laughs> you know, fighting with each other. These are just few, and there are many other character, um, reasons why kindness is so important. And we never talk about this when we hire people. Optimism is another one. You know, if you are an innovator, if you are a creator, if you are changing the status quo, you need to think in an optimistic way. You need to think that there is always a possibility to better the situation. If you are the opposite, if you think that, ah, whatever, I mean, this is a status quo. How can you change this company? How can you change this society? How can you change this product that has been there forever or this brand has been behaving in this way forever? You go nowhere. You need people that are insane, I mean, insanely optimistic and always thinking I can change things. Also because in the day-to-day, -day, you will face roadblocks, you will face difficulties. If you are really innovating, you have roadblocks every single day. If you don't, ask yourself if you are really innovating. And so if you do, either you, are, you have this optimistic approach to life or it's going to be a miserable life, miserable. Uh, curiosity. I mean, it's so important to be curious because, you know, often they tell me, how can you, how do you train your people, inspire them, how you expose them to trends and this and that? Well, obviously, we have tons of things that we do. And, you know, we have data to, um, that, that we make available, available to people. We do consumer research. We do all kinds of things that every company does. But they do think that that's what, 5% of what you really can do uh, by yourself. The 95% is all on you, is in your ability to be curious about everything. Curiosity brings you to explore the world, to, uh, you know, you do a business trip to really get out of the meeting room and explore the city you're in, to talk to people, get out of your comfort zone because you're talking to strangers. Eventually, and ideally, not just strangers, but people different than you. Curious people, Usually, they love diversity. They don't reject diversity. They don't fear diversity because they see in diversity that opportunity to learn something that they don't know. They understand that the, these people are different than them. And it's both the more traditional categories of diversity, gender, uh, racial diversity, and then religious, political. But then it's diversity of any kind. People that think really different than you, that wear, you know, dress in a different way. And these people, instead of rejecting them, they embrace the dialogue with them. They want to understand why they think different. They want to understand 
if they're missing some points. Curiosity push you to, you know, if you are a designer to try to understand the world of finance, of business, of technology, if you are a industrial designer to learn the world of fashion design and graphic design and and all the other dimensions of the same discipline uh, if you are italian to m- understand more of the chinese culture the spanish culture the canadian culture uh, that's curiosity ski and for me is a one of the key key criteria not just when we hire but when we grow our people in our own organizations also because it's easy because if a person is curious is also a person that is growing within the company and learning more. And you see it in the way the person behave in the outputs of his or her work. And respect is another one. And I could go on and on and on. But if we want to summarize this, and again, in the book, there is a long list. I don't remember how many they are, but like 25, something like this. And, and if we want to summarize all of these you know, when we talk about the innovation mindset of people, often books and conferences and people and, and companies talk about the ability of somebody to think big and being very creative and a vision, but then also combine that with the ability to execute and make things happen. I mean, these are more um, expected characteristics from the innovation world. And yes, you know, in my list, there are also those. But how many times you heard an innovation leader, a CEO, an hiring manager saying, is this person kind? Is this person curious? Is this person an optimist? Is this person respectful? And so on and so forth. Humbleness is another big one. You know, self-confidence combined with humbleness that push you really to listen to people and learn and grow. And so... This is what we need to ask ourselves. And while 20 years ago, 30 years ago, this was not necessary for a simple reason, because this big corporation, especially, had huge barrier to entry, driven by the scale of production, distribution, and communication. Today, in a world where anybody can come up with an idea, get access to funding through kickstarter.com or through the proliferation of funds hunting for the new idea, go uh, the cost of... Mm, Manufacturing is is going down, driven by globalization and new technologies. You can go straight to the end users with your ideas through the e-commerce platform, and you can build your ecosystem of communication through social media. So all these areas were the areas where these big corporations were building barriers to entry to scale. Now, because those barriers are not as powerful as in the past, you are bombarded by new products. And everybody, the big and the small, are all competing for one thing, to create the most relevant solution for people, the most meaningful solution to the needs of and wants of people. And so unless you do it as a company, if you don't do it, somebody else will do it on your behalf. And so while in the past, all these corporations could afford to have people that eventually were not extraordinary in the way they were thinking and behaving and working together, because they could afford to have products and brands that were not extraordinary. You know, if my brand was not giving you what you wanted, you are stuck because when you are going to Walmart or Carrefour, this is what you are finding. Today, you go online and you find the universe. So either my brand serve you for what you really need or the new startup will do it on my behalf. And so you, you need better products. The Italian book is called The Age of Excellence. L'età dell'eccellenza is about the excellence that we need to create. And this excellence is all 
driven by these human beings, these people. So this company needs this kind of people today more than ever, more than in the past, because today you need to excel. In the past, you didn't need to. And there, you know, the English book is called The Human Side of Innovation, but the subtitle is People in Love with People. The Human Side of Innovation, People in Love with People. And in these three words, people in love with people, there is everything. The first people is the innovators I was talking about, and they have all these characteristics. Love summarizes everything. I explain, you know, briefly today, it, love pushes you to be curious, to embrace others, to love diversity. I mean, you really want to do something amazing for the society, for the users, you know, creating your products through your ideas, through the platforms that this company gives you. And the other people are the people you serve. People in love with people is the key formula of this new world we live in. Well, that's very inspiring. I never uh, thought about um, kindness, for example, and uh, positivity and curiosity linked with, at the end, productivity and business. Um, very, very inspiring. And um, um, in your book, uh, uh, you say, for example, uh, that um, companies have to um, focus on meaning creation, so creating meaning for people again. Um, this idea that the person is at the center of uh, all the business and a company has to serve uh, people by creating meaning, um, making sense then for, for people. So we are not anymore um, selling products uh, or, or like uh, uh, mediocrity, uh, as you mentioned also in the book, but we are creating excellence and uh, uh, very important sense for, for people. Um, I wanted to ask you uh, if you could, can explain better what you mean by creating meaning uh, for people and how does, does this can be uh, translated into a brand, for example, into a, a vision of a company? Yeah. Look, when we talk about meaning, it's very important to understand what drives us as human beings in everything we do every day. And first of all, I think one of the filters, we could, we could talk about this in many different ways, but one of the filters that I think is very powerful and interesting is the Maslow pyramid of needs. For a simple reason, because Maslow was able to decodify what drives us towards survival and happiness. Meaning that uh, this is, the pyramid is really about reaching our happiness, but obviously first we need to survive to then reach our happiness. So if you look at that pyramid, you, you, you move from the bottom where we talk about survival, so the more physical needs that we have, safety and the physiological needs. And then you move up the ladder, up the pyramid, and you start to talk about communities and how you interact with others, self-expression, self-esteem, and something that transcends even yourself. So everything we do in our life, every single thing, and everything we do as communities, as governments, as states, everything, everything can be um, reconnected in its root causes to the pyramid. So when we talk about meaning, meaning is understanding what are the needs and wants of people, what drives them every day, 
and creating solutions, could be a product, could be a service, could be an experience, could be a brand, could be anything, to help individuals in general, a society, or specifically, you know, if we think about hyper-customization of products and brands and experiences, to help an individual achieving their needs. If we want to simplify the pyramid and identify a few key dimensions, you know, there are, you need to be clear about the utilitarian needs that you're serving through your solution, whatever is the solution. The solution is a broad word to talk about product, brands, everything, experience, services. So what are the utilitarian needs? Am I helping this person achieving the utilitarian needs. I need a car to move from A to B. I need a drink to hydrate myself. The second dimension is the emotional needs. So is this person enjoying the use of this product in multiple dimensions from the more emotional one, like is having fun using it? Or is, for instance, we had data that showed that the post-it notes, uh, 3M had these pop-up notes. And then they had the normal notes. So the pop-up are the one that you pop, you know, from a dispenser. We had data that showed that people loved, enjoyed pulling the pop-up notes. They they just have fun doing it. And they were consuming more of posting notes because of this. So there is a dimension that is very ludic, very emotional. But then in this dimension of enjoying uh, the interaction, both rational and emotionally, there is also the more rational enjoyment for instance the product is user friendly is is accessible is ergonomic you know but there is the second dimension of i'm enjoying the use more more rational emotionally and then there is the third dimension that is more obvious in certain categories and less in others in luxury is very obvious in cleaning tools or for the house probably not but it's still present that is the semiotic dimension So this product, this brand, this experience is giving me the possibility to say something about myself to the rest of the world. This goes, you know, if we go back to the Maslow pyramid, you start to go up, it's self-expression, it's self-esteem, and goes all the way to eventually transcendence. I wear an expensive watch, I'm telling the world that I'm wealthy or I'm trying to be wealthy. Uh, I wear a watch that with crazy colors, I'm telling the world that I belong to a community of creative people. Um, Anything I do every single day, the products I carry with me could be a bottle of water of a brand versus another. Uh, Specific brands I wear on my, you know, on, uh, on my clothing, a tattoo, my haircut, the car I drive, the books I read, even the friends I have, the house, you know, how I design my house, anything, anything, anything is telling a story about ourselves to the rest of the world. Even this is a need. Some industries understand this very well. In the luxury world, obviously, you know, you have these luxury brands and people are very proud of wearing them for a variety of different reasons. In some other industries, it's less clear, but the reality is that the opportunity is there as well. I remember in 3M, we're having this um, safety equipment business, masks, respirators, helmets, eyewear, and it became very clear that these workers were using these devices also to show how professional they were, how tough they were, or how good they were at what they were doing. 
this is true in any category. In food and beverage, we're using this insight in so many different ways. You want to be proud of the brand you carry with you and you want the brand to tell a story. Sometimes you're aware of it. Many times you're not even aware of it. It's totally intuitive. You don't realize it. In fact, if you ask people in consumer research, traditional consumer research, questions about the semiotic dimension, the most of the time, either they are unaware, so they, they will tell you, I don't care. The, if you were asking the workers about the safety equipments, they would tell you, I don't care. But then they were choosing the ones that were communicating those kind of values. Sometimes they're not aware, as I said. Sometimes they're even embarrassed by that. So they will tell you the opposite of what they really feel. They want to look cool, but they're embarrassed by admitting that they want to look cool. So they will lie on purpose. So again, we go back to this ability to observe people. But meaning is all about this, is about deeply understanding needs and wants of people and creating solutions that are really meaningful, that create value for them in all these dif different dimensions. The most powerful products, brands, services, and experiences are the ones that play in the three layers, in the three dimensions, in a very powerful way. And by the way, and I close, meaning is defined by the expert of the world of language, by the semiologist, as the connection between a sender, the sender message, a content, a receiver, a code that could be verbal or visual or acoustic, but there is a code to this message, uh, a media, a platform that could be traditional media, television, now internet, but it could be the shape of a product. It could be anything that carry the message, a context that makes sense of what you're saying for your culture and background, and then noises, because you could say something and then a competitor arrives and say something that disrupts everything and the meaning of your message change. So when you think about meaning, the what is focusing on people's search for happiness through the Maslow pyramid or those three dimensions I mentioned. The how is managing all the ingredients of this equation. So understanding the nature of your brand that is the sender, what you want to say to people, who are these people, analyze them, segment them, deeply understand their needs and wants, and then understand the value of code and um, a media. Um, an example that I make in the book is Obama. The, uh, when Obama became president, he was the first president who using media in an unusual way, unusual media, Twitter. There was no president before using Twitter. And we have presidents in the past using television for the first time, the radio for the first time. So the media was changing the message because it was cool that a president would talk to people in Twitter. Just It would change the meaning of the message, no matter what you were saying. And the code, the, this black guy, young, cool, playing basketball, you know, somebody you wanted to have as a friend, as a father, is relatable, but there is also the cool factor. Obama won his first election through code, and media, even more than content. I remember asking my team in the United States, I already had a team in the US, but I was living in Italy, asking them, why are you so happy that Obama won? You know, I had a meeting the day after the election, they spent all nights partying and celebrating. And most of them had no clue of what the real program of Obama was. They didn't know the message. They were not aware of it in detail. He won through code and media for those people. Yes, and to understand 
all of this, for example, uh, not to be passive to this kind of happiness that was uh, touching your uh, your friends, your um, the, the people with whom you work. Uh, I mean, not, not, uh, you need to have a curiosity and explore the meaning, go beyond what touches you emotionally and try to uh, unpack uh, the, the codes, the symbols, the, the narrative, the media. And um, now I understand uh, why you mentioned curiosity as one of the main uh, uh, features. Oh, yeah. That Yes, yes. Um, coming back to the unicorns, <laughs> um, I guess you met in your life, in your personal experience, many unicorns, many in people that we might define very uh, big innovators. You mentioned, for example, Richard Branson in the book, but I can imagine Uh, many others. Um, when you met these people, did you ask yourself, like, um, what makes this one so special? Um, and uh, if you have any lesson that uh, you um, get from these kind of uh, meetings? With Look, I think there is one characteristic that I mentioned also at the beginning of this conversation is that ability to always think that you need to keep growing, you need to keep learning, and you need to keep changing both yourself and what surrounds you. Uh, one common trait of all these people is that they are always there trying to change the status quo. They have very big dreams and ambition. They're able to make things happen. But when they reach their first goal, they're always thinking, okay, what is next? And they enjoy that. They enjoy the innovation moment more than the output of that innovation. Uh, is is uh, for us Italian Giacomo Leopardi Sabato del Villaggio? You know, is this poet that talks about how people enjoy so much the Saturday in you know in these villages back then in the 1800 preparing the party of the Sunday, the big holiday. And then the Sunday arrives and he's like, okay, let's have fun. But the reality, they were enjoying so much the Saturday. This is the mindset of the innovators. They enjoy so much changing and evolving and creating. And then when they land innovation, yes, I mean, great satisfaction and everything, but they're all already thinking, okay, what's next? What's next? And there is a, you know, in the latest book of Simon Sinek, I think it's called either the infinite game or the handless game, one of the two. But Simon talks that is, if you don't know Simon Sinek, read about Simon Sinek because he's really an interesting Um, author and thinker, but he talks about the difference between these companies that really have this kind of mindset that is all about innovating, innovating in an endless way, in an infinite way. You have that kind of mindset versus the ones that have a goal, they achieve the goal, and then they start to extract value out of that goal that they achieved, that business that they created. The innovator is somebody that keeps doing it. And And it's not easy because, first of all, it's extenuating if you don't have the right mindset because you need to keep putting energy in this activity. Uh, but mostly, if you are not able to manage and extract value from what you achieved, you won't have enough resources to invest in your new idea. And you could be like innovation, you know, 
you need certain things that come from you, from the context and everything. And then let's be honest, you need a little bit of luck as well because you need to be at the right time in the right place. But uh, if you don't try, if you don't put yourself out, as the Latin used to say, if you don't, uh, you know, la fortuna aiuta gli audaci, fortune help the brave, or I don't remember exactly how you translate it in English, but more or less that's the meaning. Uh, that means that if you are brave, if you are courageous, if you put yourself out there, if you try, 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 sooner or later, fortune will arrive, meaning that you will find yourself in the right moment, in the right place. So you need that kind of mindset, but you need also, you know, a little bit of that fortune. So the innovators need to keep trying, creating, innovating. And then at the beginning, you know, they're going to do it right. And, and they achieve the first goal. Then you keep going and going and going. But you also need to understand how to extract value from what you did. If you're just there innovating and, you know, it's just an engine that at, at a certain point will burn itself. Uh, well, I could uh, really follow you, I mean, hours in this journey through philosophy to literature and uh, psychology, uh, very inspiring. Um, I'm coming to my very last question. Um, I think you gave me already an answer somehow during our conversation, but uh, I would like you to... Um, uh, summarize and uh, like um, uh, if you would say something to a new graduate, young graduate who is uh, just uh, finishing his master and entering the uh, the world of work for the first time, uh, which advice would you give? Well, you're right. I, I probably mentioned this multiple times, but first of all, because we're talking about graduation, school, university, understanding that the learning journey is just beginning. If you think that you are done with learning and now you're going to apply what you learn, it's not going to work. It didn't work in the past too much, but now more than ever, because you need to keep reinventing yourself. Things are changing radically all the time. And so that kind of mindset is very, very important. The other one is looking at life as a never-ending opportunity to grow yourself through dialogue with others. So hunt for people that can inspire you. In, in the book, I talk about these different kind of mentors, people you can reach out today, especially through social media, through the platforms that we have. You can write to anybody and they can eventually answer or you can connect with people, go to conferences, go to events. <laughs> Uh, when you when you do, don't be afraid to talk to people. Approach them, uh, inspire them. Uh, they will inspire you back. Not all the time. Fine, is enough that out of one hundred people you talk with, one say something that is meaningful for you. It could change your life. In in the book, I I shared some of these stories where, you know, the head of design of Philips, Stefano Marzano decided to send a book to this kid that was stalking him, literally, I was 19, I was writing him letters and everything. He just sent me a book and the book changed my life and it made me leave everything and go to Dublin to study English. Then somehow I found my way in Philips. And then in Philips, I stayed less than one year. I didn't, it's not about, oh, I find somebody that give me a job and now I start and I stay there. No, 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 no. This is really like giving you the drive, giving you the inspiration. I'm very active in social media because I like to be active is who I am. But 
what gives me so much joy is literally joy, not even satisfaction, is joy, is when I receive many messages from people telling me over the years, well, you know, you say that or you inspire me in this way, I decided to close my business and do that or jump in an opportunity I didn't want to jump to. Eh? And now I'm doing this. It makes me li literally, even now talking about this, I have goosebumps because by putting yourself out there and sharing stories and trying to inspire people, actually you help people. But, but who do you help? The people that want to be helped. And so if I see myself back then, and if I see myself still today, because I'm still like this, you need to be that fertile ground where, you know, when the seed arrives, they can go in and then grow in a plant. So you need to put yourself out there and connect with people and, and be open to be inspired. There are many people that can inspire you every day out there, but you, it all starts with you. We were talking earlier about curiosity. You know, your companies, your leaders can give you so many tools, so many ways to grow yourself. But if you don't have that kind of curiosity, if you don't leverage what they offer you, it's just wasted. And if you have that curiosity, if you're ready to leverage what comes from the company, then you realize that what the company is giving you is just what I was mentioning earlier, 5% of what you can really do. There is so much more out there. Traveling, talking to people. I didn't mention reading books. In the books, there is the is the concentration of the best of the best thinking of people that were willing to share the thinking uh, with the rest of the world across history, thousands and thousands of e years of wisdom concentrated in these books. I would love to have, I don't know, 20 lives to read all the books of the world. Imagine how much better I would be as a person. So I cannot do that but they can do a little bit of that. So reading is so important. Uh, and, you know, to close, read the biography of Steve Jobs and read the biography of Richard Branson, just to start. And then there are many, well, the one of uh, the Phil Knight, the founder of Nike is another one. The biographies of these founders are amazing because they, wow, you, you close the book, you're like, wow, I really, you know, myself, you know, that I did a little bit with my life, you know, I have a nice job and everything, but I'm thinking, wow, I did nothing of <laughs> what I could do. And you want to change the world even more. So uh, have books inspiring you, have people inspiring you. Yeah. And thank you very much for all these suggestions, advices. Uh, really, you gave us today food for thought in many directions. And uh, I'm very sure that our listeners have, uh, um, I mean, took the most out of our conversation. To me, it was a very great pleasure uh, to speak with you today. Thank you very much, Mauro, for being with us and for sharing your ideas and part of your journey with us. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure for me and good luck to all the people listening to us. And uh, I wish you to find in yourself that energy to reach your happiness, to change the world and to surround yourself with positivity and then expand the positivity to the rest of the world. This is a BI production. Listen to more podcasts.
go to bi.no slash podcasts.